everybody. This is Miko again, back from the Miko Show. Today's episode is epic. I get a chance to interview co-founder of the School of Bots, Natasha Takahashi. If you don't know about the School of Bots, you need to find out because she is an amazing, amazing person and instructor. Enjoy. Hi, Natasha. Thank you so much for joining our audience today. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and I'm glad we're matching as well. Um, so I got started as an entrepreneur actually with chatbots. So my chatbot agency was my first official business. And before that I had been in the tech startup world, you know, lived in Silicon Valley for a little bit and LA. So I wasn't unfamiliar to the entrepreneur world, but I had seen like the total opposite side of it, right? I had seen the burnt out founders and people kind of almost being slaves to their investors, you know, without getting too morbid. Um, and so I then quickly did a 180 when I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, which I'm sure everyone who owns an online business has heard of that book, right? Um, and it's funny because everyone who has read that book, you know, kind of goes all in on that lifestyle and think that that's, you know, the, the dream, the glamorous life that you can live. So I started my agency um, when chatbots came out because I was planning to start a marketing agency at that time. I had done quite a bit of marketing for startups um, and other businesses, contractor kind of gigs. So I was like, let me actually turn this into a business and see what I can do with this. So I did that. And then chatbots came out around the same time. So it just kind of worked out. Um, and honestly, the stars aligned. I'm so happy and, you know, obviously really grateful that that all kind of happened at the same time. And so started my agency banking on the fact that I thought chatbots would be the next big thing, which luckily they were. Um, and they actually did some pretty amazing things for our first few clients and case studies that we took on. So that was really my first step into entrepreneurship. And then now at this point, I have my agency where we serve clients like Mind Valley, Social Media Examiner. Um, and then we also now have School of Bots, uh, which is our education arm. So I guess I'm a two-time entrepreneur so far. <laughs> Awesome. Now, you are, as you mentioned, you are the co-founder of School of Bots. Can you tell our audience what exactly do you teach inside of School yeah. of Bots? And do you need to be a coder or just give us some more information? Totally. Yeah, these are great questions that people have in general about chatbots, right? They're like, what do you actually need to know? What are the skills you need to have in order to accomplish whatever you want to, right? Whether you are an employee at a company and want to implement this, or if you're an entrepreneur marketer that wants to learn how to do this for your own business or clients. So at School of Bots, our goal is to serve those two latter audiences. So we serve marketers and entrepreneurs who are either beginners in this space or have owned a marketing agency, have marketing experience for a few years now, and just want to understand this whole new world of conversational marketing in the context of chatbots, mainly on Facebook Messenger. So that's what we teach is really a holistic approach. So not just, hey, here's how to build on many chatbots which if some of you don't know is one of the biggest spot building platforms, right? Kind of like a MailChimp of the messenger marketing world. And so it's not just about that stuff though, right? Because you could build, you know, all sorts of crazy complex stuff in there. Don't need to know how to code, which is great. Um, but if you don't have a strategy, if you don't have an understanding of it, then, you know, the bot kind of goes to crap, right? There's not really a goal behind it. So we try to come at it from a holistic approach to teach, hey, here's the strategy you need to think about going into this. Here's how to actually implement 
a bot into an existing company as well as a new one. And then, okay, let's now build, you know, inside of ManyChat and inside of these amazing tools. And then from there, how do you actually build a business around that? How do you sell this to clients? How do you serve clients with this technology on an ongoing basis where your fee is justified by the results that you're bringing? So we approach it from all those different angles, both the entrepreneur and the marketer. And that's really our goal is to be able to teach um, people how to accomplish all of that in such a new space where there's no industry standard, you know, there's no like pricing standard as well, right? People don't know, you know, what that should look like. So there's a lot of unknowns and our goal is to kind of uncover that for people and just share what has worked for us. Awesome. You guys do a great job in doing that. Thank you very much. (laughs) So what are messenger templates and how can they help somebody just starting out? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say that for companies that are looking at templates to purchase, typically a company that's going to benefit the most is an individual who wants to actually do this, you know, at their agency or start a business around this. So the templates of any sort, right, are always going to help you get a little bit more ahead or give you a way to learn without it being from scratch um, and give you a little bit of a head start. Whereas if there's a business that's looking at buying a template for chatbots because they want to build a business, not build a business, build a bot um, for their company, I would actually say that usually that's not as effective because what happens is they're like, oh my gosh, this is great, but then they've got to still figure out the whole tool of ManyChat or ChatFuel, et cetera, right? So I would say that messenger templates benefit people who are willing to understand and learn the tools or already do know them to help them fast track a little bit. Like the reason we even created our messenger template marketplace is because we knew that as an agency internally, anytime someone came in as a client project for a specific industry, we typically had templates that were available to us that we had built internally that we could just lay as the foundation and then build on top of that, right? And that saved us a lot of time, a lot of effort because we had spent time testing those templates and continue to improve them. So that's kind of my two cents on templates. Um, And I think that they're obviously a great tool, but they're not everything, right? They're not the end solution to what a chatbot can do. Awesome. So why, in your opinion, is messenger marketing really disrupting the way businesses talk to customers? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. And I would say the number one way is the fact that Anything you want to be done in a business relationship between the customer and the business happens a lot faster and a lot more intimately inside of a conversation, right? Because you take, for example, an email versus a few messages inside of a chatbot inside of Facebook Messenger. Well, with the email, someone reads that email, maybe they, you know, read most of it or skim it. And then really the only call to action for them is usually to click something. If they don't click something, then they go out of it and the business didn't get a whole lot of value from them, right, as a customer, and the customer feels like they got what they needed to get from that, right? There's usually no incentive to respond to emails or even to click on certain parts or click on them and then click out of them really fast, right? Whereas inside of a message conversation, you as the user have to interact in order to get whatever you want, right? Whether that's a piece of content or something that that company promised, like a lead magnet, or you want to get more information, book an appointment, right? All that stuff has to happen from you putting forth something sort of action. And so psychologically, and there's probably a lot of science behind this that I can even begin to explain, um, but from a very kind of simple standpoint here, like the main concept to understand is that this person is committing more to you because they're taking the time to interact back and forth and actually have a conversation the same way they would when they're getting to know 
a new friend for the first time. And so I think that at its core is what makes messenger marketing so effective. And then there for these up things like the sales process, right? Someone can get answers to their questions a lot faster than they would if they were just to email, right? And have to wait for the response. And, you know, it's a little bit slow, whereas a chatbot's instant. Um, and that goes really for any type of conversation, whether it's remarketing, customer care, or, you know, meeting a company for the first time. Very cool. Yeah, there's, it's so much quicker, which, yeah, we're, we're definitely in right. now um, a way of living. Exactly. Um, can you explain how a business that just has a website and, and they and they have an email email list how they could benefit from adding messenger marketing to to their mix? Yeah. So as long as you've got something going, um, which is usually kind of our criteria, actually, when we look at a company to bring them on as a client, if you have, you know, an audience that you're building already on email or on a Facebook page or wherever, then that's a great starting point. And just finding a few places or even just one place to add the chatbot within a existing marketing funnel or a way that you talk to your customers is going to be the best way to start out without having to implement 10 different things at once, right? And then being like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's working because we're testing way too many things, right? And then you just kind of move on too quickly to all these different ideas and then you don't really have any data at the end of it. So we did that at the beginning and realized that it really just didn't make a lot of sense to approach chatbots that way. So what I would suggest, and I think the best way that a company who has already an email list can benefit is using a chatbot to grow both your messenger list on Facebook and your email list at the same time, right? And there's a lot of really great ways to do this within tools like ManyChat and Zapier, Integromat. Um, and all these tools allow you to send data between, you know, your chatbots on ManyChat to whatever email software you're using, right? And beyond. For those of you guys who are familiar with Zapier and Integromat, they essentially allow you to create connections between any platform that you could possibly want to, right? As long as they have what's called an open API. So when you have that and actually take what a company's already doing, say inside of email and try to recreate that, repurpose that into a messenger experience, that can actually be really, really effective. And we've done that for a lot of clients and seen amazing results because they spend quite a bit of time testing email copy or putting that together. So we will just take that and condense it. We may cut out a lot of sentences because like it or not, email marketing has a lot of fluff, right? Um, which works in that medium, but inside of chatbots, you just got to cut all that out. Um, and so taking that into the messenger experience and creating a conversation out of it is usually the easiest way and most effective way to start testing a chatbot with your audience. So hopefully that helps everyone who's listening. Awesome. Now, why are the open rates for messenger so much higher than email? Right now, honestly, I would say it's two main reasons. One is the market's not saturated at all, right? And most people hate and are unable to get to email um, inbox zero, right? It's really tough for people. Um, I still see, I actually make sure to get to inbox zero every day on my email, but I know people who have 20,000, 30,000, you know, emails. Um, and I'm like, oh my gosh, doesn't give you anxiety <laughs> you know, to just see that number rising and rising, but they didn't do anything about it. And I've noticed quite a few people have that going on for them. And so you look at that versus the messenger inbox where someone's expecting to get the most important messages 
you know, in their lives from family, from friends, from coworkers, um, and now from businesses as well inside of that inbox. So they pay a lot more attention to it and they're checking it more often as well, right? It's kind of that habit forming product, um, the same way that we all are, you know, used to mindlessly scrolling through Instagram and Facebook, like the same thing with messaging apps, considering that now messaging apps also have more users collectively all over the world, um, over social media apps, which is kind of crazy to think about. So that fact combined with the fact that, you know, chatbots are a little bit more fun, more convenient. People know and understand that chat is going to be a faster way to get to a company and get the information that they need. And so because of that, ultimately the open rates are going to be higher for campaigns you do there, as well as offers that you might give someone if they come in from say a Facebook ad or just message your page and are going back and forth. Right. And that retention of continuing that conversation versus the retention of emailing someone for five days and seeing if they open that email over the five days, right. What that average open rate looks like the messenger rates just going to be a lot higher because simply it's a new channel. And again, people are checking it a little bit more and are excited to even see it as well. Right. Cause it's just totally new. Absolutely. Now you and Kyle, uh, your partner, you've landed some really prestigious clients, as you mentioned in, in the outset, mind Valley social media examiner. Um, I'm going to ask you about that a little bit later, but can you tell our audience, um, yeah. Was there a time when you guys um, struggled in order to get your business off the ground? And how did you have the courage to just persist? Yes. So absolutely. Um, we struggled quite a bit at the beginning because it was actually also Kyle's first business. So we had both had a bit of experience watching other people, mentors, you know, companies that we worked at start businesses and grow them, get acquired. Right. So we kind of saw the process of what an entrepreneur typically goes through, but we had never done it ourselves. Right. And there's a lot that goes into it. I had always kind of prepared myself mindset wise that I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. That was just kind of something I was set on was that I don't want to go and work a nine to five. You know, I'm going to do my own thing, figure it out, whatever it's going to be. Right. And now I've got this whole bucket list of things that I want to do. But when we first got started, I knew it was going to be tough. So I expected it. Um, and I knew that we weren't going to quit regardless of what happened. Um, but it was very, very tough in the beginning, especially because it wasn't just that we were starting a new business. It was the fact that this was a new industry as well. So I think that if we had focused on a service that wasn't as new as chatbots, say something like Facebook ads, right? Or something like Instagram marketing, then we would have gotten off the ground a lot faster. Um, and we would have known kind of what we were doing, right? Cause there were proven methods of pitching Facebook ads to a company, right? And we can kind of go to mentors or people to kind of understand that. But with chatbots, it was just so new that even though there were some people creating content, creating courses and things like that, and we took all of those, we consumed, you know, whatever content we could just to find out a little bit more, but no one was really sharing. How do you actually explain what a chatbot is to someone? Do you show them your phone? You know, do you try to create a slide deck? Like what? the best way right and so no one even like a year and a half after we started our agency no one was really sharing that stuff precisely right you know not really like peeling back the curtain not peeling back the curtain taking up back the curtain late in the day <laughs> my analogies are not as good right now um, but really like understanding you know what they were doing behind the scenes at their agency and so because of that um, you know we struggled quite a bit just because we had no one really to talk to and no one to really look up to and learn from so that lasted 
a bit of time at the beginning um, because we found out about chatbots in 2016, right? When they first came out um, from Facebook. And then we incorporated a little bit later towards the end of 2016. So between April of 2016 and the end of the year, we struggled a little bit to figure out how we wanted to go about this. Like we had some very embarrassing <laughs> sales conversations, right? You know, where I was on the phone with people, Kyle was on the phone with people, um, and we just embarrassed the heck out of ourselves, right? Um, and just said silly things, right? Or looking back, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. But that's, you know, the trials and tribulations that you go through as an entrepreneur, right? And so we definitely struggled quite a bit in the beginning. Um, but I'm really glad that we entered this space at the time that we did. And even now, there's so much opportunity for everyone that's watching and listening to this, because even though it's been now three years, like, Chatbots are still so new. The adoption rate, even though it's been fairly fast, there are over 40 million businesses using Messenger every single month. Um, regardless of that, you know, there's still hundreds of millions of other businesses that aren't using it or they're not using it in the right way or as much as they could be as well, right? So there's a lot of opportunity still, even though you will struggle just in general if you choose the entrepreneurship path, right? Absolutely. I, I think we learn the, the best things about ourselves when we do struggle. So that's a good thing. Right. Um, going back to those prestigious clients, can you walk us through yeah. some of the steps of how you were able to land them? And then how did you determine if you were successful? Mm, that's a great question because I think I was actually thinking about that today. I was like, you know what, for the agencies that don't really share, you know, things like what they're doing or what's working, I feel like a lot of agencies out there struggle. Right. Um, and I think that the education space around creating a digital marketing agency has become so saturated over the last few years because there's just so many agencies, right, doing stuff, but a lot of them are bringing results. Um, and that's something that becomes really blatantly clear with chatbots because it's not just like Facebook ads where it's like, well, we're getting you traffic, but your funnels aren't converting. It's like the chatbot is everything in one. So if your chatbot's not bringing results, then things really show then, <laughs> right, in terms of your abilities. And so when we first got started, we weren't, or actually we kind of did the opposite where we were trying to get like really big clients. So we decided to focus on the beauty niche and um, we're reaching out to companies like Revlon, L'Oreal, Sexy Hair, like all of these big brands that we were able to actually get in touch with when Kyle and I went to a conference um, with for beauty consumers, all the big marketing managers were there. So we're like, oh my gosh, what the heck? You know, so we're like the only marketing people there, right? Like trying to have conversations with them. And so I actually got on sales calls with all these companies. Again, very embarrassing calls, right? Where I had no idea, you know, I was, I talked the whole time, like it was terrible sales pitches, right? You know, I would have just shut myself down. <laughs> like if that were me today. Right. Um, and so looking back at that, you know, we took it the whole wrong approach where I think the goal can be to eventually get prestigious clients. But at the beginning, like focus on local businesses, focus on people that are low hanging fruit, whether that's a friend's business or a family's business, or, you know, someone that you used to work for that you think chatbots could help them with, um, or whatever you're kind of up to. So, then we kind of took a step back and we're like, okay, this is a little bit silly. Like if I had closed L'Oreal, what the heck would I have even done, right? What I had no idea what I was doing, right? We didn't know how to onboard a client or how to bring them results every month or how to create reports for them. You know, all these things that kind of come with actually serving someone the right way, we had no idea how to do. And so um, I'm really happy that those deals didn't work out at the beginning because it would have been, again, very embarrassing. And so fast forward from there, we started to take 
take on small e-commerce stores, um, more boutique types of businesses, and really started to serve just all sorts of different industries because we were now starting to partner with other marketing agencies that wanted to offer chatbots to their clients, but they didn't want to take the time, didn't really have the resources to learn this whole new skill, right? And so that was one of our biggest advantages in the way that we grew pretty quickly as an agency um, in terms of revenue was because we were able to do these white label types of partnerships and be able to create chatbots for these agencies after we had a few, you know, smaller business case studies that we could share with them. So we did all of that um, for about a year and a half. And then we started School of Bots. And that's when we started to serve bigger clients, um, which kind of happened hand in hand with like me starting to position myself as a chatbot authority. Um, and then also now these bigger brands coming to us, like our goal was never really to serve people like Mind Valley, like Matthew Hussey, right? We wanted to just serve whoever we could um, with the best results possible, whether it was, you know, a store front business or a digital, you know, marketing giant, right? And so um, that stuff happened pretty quickly, I'd say just within the last year is when we've taken on some of these bigger clients that do millions a year that spend, you know, 300,000 to a million dollars a month on Facebook ads. And obviously, that's given us a lot of really great tips and lessons and things that we can kind of put together and serve our audience with as well. And that's really the goal of it is I've realized now taking a step back and looking at other educators in the marketing space or pretty much anywhere, like they practice what they preach and they have things to share with you as well. And so that's really our goal is I'm proud that we're able to take on these clients because then we can share what we learn from those experiences with our students, with our audience in content that we create in presentations that I give like this as well as on stages. So that's really our goal in being able to serve these clients. And honestly, I'm just honored and excited that it happened in such a short amount of time as well. And again, just really grateful that it all just kind of happened where the stars aligned, got into the industry at the right time, where a lot of these companies either didn't have chatbots yet or just hadn't really done it the right way. So the opportunity for us to serve clients with this is still really, really big. Absolutely. Now, it, there's you and Kyle, so you guys are partners. So is it easier to have a business partner as you go into the chatbot, um, chatbot area? Yeah, I would say that what I've noticed um, since now we've served or helped over 200 people start their own chatbot agencies as well as serve a community of over 6,000 people. And the reason that I give those numbers is because that's allowed me to see kind of all these different people come into the chatbot space who want to start a business or have a business and want to add chatbots to it. So I would say that honestly, it depends on what your goal is with your agency, right? I've seen solopreneurs create teams where they're really excited and happy. They have full-time people um, that are doing really great work for them. But what I've also seen work really well is partnerships like Kyle and I, where I'm the marketing mind, I'm the creative, kind of the strategy mind behind the client work. And Kyle is very much more the company visionary, seeing where we could expand things, as well as putting together partnerships, doing the sales, um, because that's very much more kind of his mind and how he thinks, right? So we're very opposite in that sense, but we also complement each other in pretty much every skill that we have. And so if you can find someone like that, then amazing and work with them 
see how that goes. And the most important thing to think about is the values that you guys or are the values that you guys both hold to make sure that that aligns as you go into business together. Um, but ultimately, it doesn't really matter whether you have a partner or not. It just depends on what you want your business to look like, right? I think if you're trying to build a $10 million agency that generates that much every year in revenue, then you'll probably want some sort of business partner. But if you just want to create a lifestyle business or a business where you can be happy and also, you know, be at home with your kids or travel whenever you want, etc. right? Um, then if making 10 grand a month is going to make you happy, then you don't really need to worry about building a team or finding a business partner. Just build a business to the point that you're happy with it and then hire a few assistants, maybe hire some contractors, but you know, your end goal is not a 200 person marketing agency. Right. Now there are so many different uh, messenger platforms. How can a person yes, choose there are. one? <laughs> Ultimately, they all do the same thing, right? If they're allowing you to, for example, build on Facebook Messenger, they're all going to do the same thing. Um, now, I will argue against that point in the sense that some platforms such as ManyChat, um, which I would say is my favorite platform at this point, is the leading platform in my opinion, because they offer all of these really amazing tools for marketers that none of the other chatbot platforms offer. And by chatbot platforms, I mean the building platforms, not necessarily Messenger versus WhatsApp, but more like ManyChat versus some of the alternatives and competitors. And so those are important things to look at when you're deciding what platform to use. Also keeping in mind that you're not married to a platform, but you kind of are by a page basis in the sense that if you connect your chatbot to say ChatFuel, for example, then it's pretty tough to move your chatbot to another platform, say MobileMonkey or ManyChat um, later on because it's not going to grab all the data that you've collected on all of your users and just dump it into the next platform. You've actually got to manually do that download of all the data, the exporting, and then somehow figure out a good way to attach now, again, all that information to each of your users inside of the new platform. So that's just one thing to be really aware of, um, as well as not connecting multiple platforms to one page that do the same thing. That can cause a lot of issues as well. So ultimately, just choose one, stick with it. Um, and ultimately, they all do the same thing, right? They're limited by what Facebook Messenger is capable of. But at the same time, platforms like ManyChat um, really do an amazing job of giving you ways to track things very precisely and detailed so that you can really make the most of your marketing campaign campaigns and know exactly where people came in from, you know, what those analytics look like, um, as well as be able to give people a really personalized experience inside of your bot, which are values that are really important to me as a chatbot builder. And that's why I choose to mainly build on and teach their platform. Gotcha. Now, how do you stay so organized? You wear so many <laughs> business hats and I, I just saw that you're going to be starting a, um, a chatbot game show. I mean, yes. it's just, <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. Kyle is constantly calling me a robot. Um, and I think that my discipline actually comes from my experience and just being a good student in school. Um, and that's always just kind of been my thing is that I was always pretty diligent in like getting things done, staying organized, having my calendar, you know, kind of in place. And so I've always worked hard, I will say. Um, and now I'm slowly starting to transition from working hard to working smart. Um, and I think that that needs to happen, though, at the beginning of your business, right? Because we talked a little bit about how the entrepreneur journey is 
pretty tough um, at the beginning. And so you've got to work both hard and smart at the beginning, but now I'm able to know how I want things done and then put together checklists and processes and say, here you go, employees and contractors, please do this for me, right? <laughs> and so it's not all about delegation, um, but that also helps me stay a little bit more organized now. But honestly, for me, it's been a constant um, just evolution and journey of figuring out. I wouldn't say it's a challenge. I like being organized. So for me, it's not really a chore. Um, but there is a problem in becoming obsessed with being organized, right? Where you will plan and organize way too much and then that's your whole day and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't do anything. I just organized my calendar all day, right? And so I think that's the totally wrong way to do it and it's really important to be aware of that. I used to do that all the time. Um, and now I really make sure to be realistic with myself. I'm like, what are, you know, the three main things I'm going to get done this day? Okay, great. And I don't overbook myself. Um, and I also use tools like Asana, which is my favorite project management tool to stay organized with projects. Um, and one thing, last kind of tip that I'll share is that each day I make sure that I have a theme in place so that I know what I'm going to be focused on for that day, whether it's marketing funnels for our own companies or, or building out a specific clients funnel or bot, right? And so having these things really helps me stay sane um, and also understand what I'm even trying to accomplish that day. And that way I actually get done what I want done instead of what used to happen to me, which is I would put like 20 things on my calendar, right? And then at the end of the day, I'm like, crap, I actually didn't do like half of these. So now I've got to move them over to tomorrow. And then on my calendar, I'd like try to find little tiny spaces I could put them in. I mean, just a mess, right? <laughs> so uh, those are kind of the lessons I've learned over the last few years, even before before I was an entrepreneur, um, of understanding how to organize my schedule. It's going to be different for everyone, but hopefully those tips are helpful for people because it took me quite a bit of time and I'm still figuring out, you know, the best way to kind of stay sane and organize at the same time and get stuff done. I like that. Have a theme. I like that. I'm going to put that into. Awesome. <laughs> um, now in mini chat, there are different growth tools. Which one is your favorite to use? Hmm. That's a tough question. So honestly, it kind of depends on what we're doing for the client. Um, I wouldn't say that I actually have a favorite growth tool. It ultimately just depends on how we can best use it. So I'd say, honestly, right now, it's probably just the plain old ref URL. And the reason is that it's just a really versatile tool where it doesn't matter where you're bringing in someone from, whether it's a website button that you want to add this link to or an email newsletter footer or within an email um, or within an Instagram profile bio or literally anywhere on the internet um, or even in person that you want to put that link. It's a pretty powerful thing because you can personalize that message. And again, that's one of the reasons I love ManyChat is because you can create as many of those as you want and have them all be customized messages. So it's really cool when I meet someone, for example, in person, or they watch my presentation on an online summit like this, they go to my ref URL link and it says, Hey, thanks for watching Natasha, you know, on the virtual chatbot summit, um, and so on. Right. And so things like that, that really stand out and just help you personalize the experience without it being complicated, like a double opt-in with the comment posts or with an ad. Right. But that's just one of my favorite tools that I use. So I'd say if I had to pick one, that would be my favorite growth tool. Okay. Now, if a company wants to get started in messenger bots, what are three pillars they need to consider? Mm, okay. So three things. One, just keep it really simple. Um, but that also means 
keeping it focused as well um, and understanding what the goal should be out of this whole thing, right? Um, so keeping it simple to one goal that's a very clear and laser focused, you know, purpose of creating something inside of the chatbot. Um, second pillar would be to, and actually maybe I should have broken those down into three. So I'm going to do that. My number one pillar would be keep it simple. Everywhere inside of your bot, you know, split testing is great, but you don't need to split test like 20 different emojis, right? You can really just keep it simple to one to three, you know, messages that you're testing out. Um, second would be track everything, which I kind of mentioned in the beginning, um, but really make sure to track things. And ManyChat makes that really easy with fields and tags, and then send that data to important places like your CRM or your email marketing software. Right. So pillar number two and then pillar number three would be actually having that clear goal in mind. Right. And the way to determine that is to say, OK, over the next two months, we're going to implement a chatbot. And our goal is to see if that chatbot can collect as many emails or as many subscribers from our website as we were collecting with email and split test that. That can be your entire test. Right. And then just move some sorts of email sequences into the bot, obviously, with a little bit more friendly copy to the conversation medium and then see which one performs better, right? And that's your goal there. Very easy to track, simple, but effective and not overcomplicated where you're like freaking out and trying to figure out all the different ways you can use a bot. So those would be my three pillars. I hope that that's helpful. That is very helpful. Awesome. Um, can you give our audience an example of some brands that you admire? They're using um, chatbots very well. Mm. Yeah. So at this point, it's tough. Um, and that's actually something we'll be doing in our game show as well, um, which I'm excited for too, because this is a question I get a lot, right? It's like, which brands are doing bots the best? Um, you know, what's the best bot in this specific category or this industry, right? And it's tough to say because bots are constantly changing. And a lot of the times when you go and message a bot just from their Facebook page, you're just going to get a generic message and people be like, oh, this chatbot experience actually sucks, right? Because it doesn't really do anything. And it's like, well, their campaigns are amazing and the way that they do stuff there is good. But if you don't opt in through an ad or opt in through a specific point, you're not going to get that experience. Um, so ultimately it kind of depends on what you're looking for and, and what the goal of the bot is. Um, but some of my favorite experiences right now, I actually have a list. I should pull them up. Give me a second <laughs> because there's always so many I'm looking Because you're so organized. <laughs> Exactly. Because I'm so organized. There you go, guys. Hope I can be your inspiration. <laughs> um, I know exactly where to find this. Okay. So I've got quite a few that I've actually been looking at a lot lately, especially because we're going to start this show. So I was like, oh, which ones do we want to do? Okay. So one of my favorite ones that even though I'm not a huge sports fan, I think that what it does is really awesome is the score. So essentially it lets you stay updated with all of your different athletic teams, right? Um, sports teams. And clearly you can see, I don't follow sports because I just called it athletic teams. So <laughs> I think it's a really awesome concept though. And the fact that it does all of this in just one place again, and it's all a lot of them are real-time updates or you can subscribe to specific things. I think what they do really well is have a system where you can subscribe to certain types of content. And so we actually take that idea, not from their bot specifically, but they just do it really well um, or happen to. Um, what we do inside of all of our chatbots, pretty much since the beginning, what I realized was that the greatest thing about chatbots is you can really personalize your chatbot experience for yourself if the chatbot lets you. And so 
taking that into the context of topics that you might want to message your audience about, not everyone on your list cares about your latest blog article. Not everyone on your list cares about your latest video, right? But some other people may care about the newest products you're launching or interviews that you're doing, right, et cetera. There's all sorts of different kind of updates you can share. So if you could give your users a way to subscribe to just a few of those, just one, or maybe none of them, that's fine too, right? Just giving them option and the ability to personalize its the most important concept here. And so that's what that bot does really well is that taking it out of the context of sports and just applying that to any bot in general, I think that's something really important that every bot could implement so that you're not losing subscribers every time someone doesn't like the broadcast or the message that you sent out, right? Instead, giving them some option saying, hey, you can still be a part of our audience here, but we're just gonna send you content that's relevant to you, but you need to tell us what that is. So giving them you know, that ability. So I'd say that that's the biggest takeaway from um, that chatbot where, again, giving the user the ability to kind of choose their own adventure, have their own experience. Um, And then another chatbot that I really like, I'll give you guys one other example. Just trying to choose and think which one I would want to kind of share because I think there's kind of two types of chatbots, right? There's like platforms where you can do stuff like the score, for example, right? It's like its own little app inside of a chatbot. And then you've got bots that support businesses that, you know, the business is not a chatbot. It does other things, but the chatbot kind of supports it. Um, So I'd say actually one of the really cool ones that I saw at F8 um, because I was kind of touched by the gal who presented this was um, Air France. So she was sharing how Air France like totally personalized her entire experience or or no, it wasn't Air France. It was um, a French train company and gosh, I probably wouldn't even be able to pronounce it, Um, but I can come back to you and give you the name (laughs) so that you can include it in the show notes if you want to. Um, This was an experience where the Gala was presenting at FH, she kind of shared this story about how she loves going to music festivals every year in Europe. So she travels every year, you know, throughout the hills of France to go to these festivals. And so she was like, I was running really late and then, you know, realized I forgot to get a train ticket. I bought the ticket inside a messenger. And then, you know, I jumped on the bus, forgot where I was going. And I was like, oh my gosh, what train platform am I going to? It sent her a message, right? Helped her get there. And she got there 30 seconds, you know, before the door closes, right? She's like, I'm on my way you know, it's amazing, right? Blah, blah, blah. And obviously her story was much more emotional than what I just described. But quick recap, um, and you guys can watch it with the F8 recordings as well. I can kind of show you that link if I can find it from her. Um, She did a really good job, obviously, and has a French accent. So, you know, that made it all the better. Uh, And so just that concept that the convenience, like the company didn't really do anything like that creative, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't say funny jokes or like compliment her or do anything that was really kind of super complicated, crazy, but they gave her what she needed at the right time at the right place. And I think that that is something that every chatbot should aim to do, whether it's just customer support about an e-commerce product that you just purchased, whether you just got a new tattoo and need to know how to clean your tattoo, um, whether it's, you know, you want to put in a takeaway order at a restaurant or you want to just find out which product is right for you or which service is right for you. Or if you're buying an education product, you know, is this program the right fit for me? Right. And all these questions that can kind of come up, well, that convenience, regardless of whether there's all sorts of little flattering comments and emojis and all sorts of pretty things, convenience and just understanding what people need at the right times in the right place. So hopefully those two examples kind of shine a little bit of light on what I think of as a good chatbot experience when I am looking at other chatbots as well as like approaching my own projects too. 
Awesome. You're the second person I interviewed that went to F8. How nice. How amazing (laughs) was that? Yeah, it was actually super interesting because I had never been in person, right? I had always watched the live stream. And to be honest, I will say that if you watch the live stream, you get all of the juicy details there. So the sessions themselves aren't very jam-packed with new information or details or anything like that. It's really more of case studies that they're sharing, you know, that you can actually just find on the Facebook website. But At the same time, the experience itself is just really cool to see how they put it together. They had really good food, um, lots of free food as well. And it was ultimately really awesome to meet everyone else in the bot space, right, who is building platforms. There are some marketing agencies. I'd say I actually only saw three other marketing agencies. So that was really interesting, at least that I knew, um, faces that I recognize and people that I'm friends with. So maybe there were other ones there. Um, But overall, it was just really cool to see everyone kind of get together there with Facebook hosting this, right? And seeing that Facebook is really pushing messaging forward. So that was my biggest takeaway. And the fact that they gave everyone an Oculus as well was pretty cool. (laughs) Wow, that's awesome. (laughs) Now, when when someone enters into um, um, your chatbot sequence, what is your six-step process? Mm. So this is something actually that I could talk about for two hours just because I usually give a presentation on this for two hours. So I will not take that much time um, away from you guys. But what I'll quickly break it down into is just kind of like glossing over what that whole six-step process is and why we approach it that way. Because the reason I even came up with the whole six-step and, you know, it's kind of like the typical marketer kind of thing, right? Where ultimately at first I was like, yeah, it actually is a six step process. And then I was presenting at trafficking conversion, you know, from digital marketer, 6,000 person conference, same thing with social media marketing world. And I was like, this is a perfect title to get people to come to this and listen to what's actually working. So I kind of used, you know, some slimy marketing tactics for my title, but then actually got them to come and it went really awesome. And <laughs> I got some great feedback. Um, so ultimately that's kind of how I came up with the name, the six step chatbot campaign formula. But in terms of the actual formula, Um, really it came about because after serving a few clients with bots, we were like, okay, there's got to be a proven process or something that we can just know works inside of every chatbot, regardless of industry, regardless of what the goal of the campaign is, right? I mean, there's so many different kinds of nuances, especially because we build custom bots for each customer. So there are some bot agencies that maybe only work with real estate agents and they have a template, right, that they give them. They maybe do some custom work on top of that, but it's all pretty much built out, right? That's just one example that I gave because one of our students does that. Um, And I see quite a few agencies doing a similar model to that. So that's great. Um, But for us, like we're doing custom work pretty much with every client just because we kind of need to at this point. And so we were trying to figure out what actually will work for each client and what's something simple that we can also, you know, kind of follow so that anyone we hire in the future can also apply this to any campaigns that we build out. And that's really important to us now as I'm starting to hire more and more. So again, I don't have to do everything. (laughs) So just to kind of give a summary of what those points are. So step one would be to generate traffic from your entry points, right? So Facebook calls them entry points, um, which would be things like the growth tools that we talked about from ManyChat. So things like the Facebook page post comments, right? When someone comments on a post, they'll get a message from your bot and then they'll be able to opt in from Facebook ads, ref URLs, which we talked about a little bit, um, buttons that you can put on your website, the customer chat plugin, right? The list kind of goes on and on um, of all these different tools that are 
are available to you within, especially ManyChat, again, for tracking purposes, which is really great. And ultimately, just bringing someone into the chatbot is that first step, right? You got to have some sort of traffic. Then from there, we call step two the value exchange or the promise of value. And the reason that it's called a promise of value is because this could be something like, hey, I promise that I'm going to deliver content to you for the next three days through a mini course, a challenge, whatever, you know, the offer is that you're giving them. Um, or I'm going to give you a lead magnet, which is going to be immediate value exchange. But the keyword is exchange because they're giving you something in return for you giving them that value as well mm -hmm. so that there's value coming in from both ends, right? So that's really why I call it a value exchange. So again, that could be whatever offer you want it to be. Ultimately, whatever you can give your audience, usually your best performing lead magnet or a campaign that's worked really well for you, as I mentioned, a mini course or challenge usually does really good there. Three would then be to capture additional contact details. And additional means things outside of the messenger information that you get. So for those of you guys who maybe haven't worked with chatbots that much or don't know all the wonderful information that you get, you get things like first name, last name, time zone, gender, um, as well as a unique user ID for each user on your list. And there's a few other pieces of information that you get directly from Facebook as soon as someone opts into your bot. That's fantastic. However, you don't own your messenger list. So it's really important to get things like a phone number, an email, um, as well as motivational slash intentional questions around the user's goals. Like why do they even care about talking to your company, right? If they're talking to a beauty salon, what's the goal here? Are they, you know, wanting to get facials every month? Do they have some back pain and want to, you know, get massages, right? Like all these different kind of things are important because that's information that you can't extract from anywhere other than the person themselves. And so getting that important information will then help you start to build a profile for them as well as start to segment them out so that once they go through this value exchange or promise of value that you're giving them, you can start to follow up with other valuable content for them as well. Step number four would be actually another value exchange or promise of value, but this time with an organic referral. So some of you guys may be aware that there's a big old share button that you can put inside of a messenger experience that works incredibly well. Um, and actually that's how one of the best nonprofit bots that I know of, which actually is another great experience that I should have mentioned earlier. There's just, see, there's so many. Um, so that's another one that I really love. Um, and the creator of it, he's awesome, very thoughtful guy. They spent a lot of time split testing and whatnot. And the share button actually brought them a huge percentage of their subscribers. So even though they ran ads initially to get subscribers, they actually then like, I think doubled their list with that share button because they advocate for all sorts of different, you know, like nature related causes and petitions, things like that. So this organic referral really kind of coming back to the formula is important for just generating more traffic and also getting people to bring their friends or colleagues or acquaintances that they think would enjoy this as well along for the journey. So that's going to be step number four. Step number five is going to be to present an offer if you have something paid. So actually, let me back up for a second because steps one through four are all value, right? It's all kind of free content and experience 
creating that relationship, right? If you walk up to someone, you're not going to say, hey, buy my stuff, but you're going to say, hey, how's your day going? Or, you know, tell me more about you, right? What are you up to? And so that all kind of happens between steps one through four. Then from steps five through six, that's going to be where the actual paid offer comes into play. So typically, of course, companies got to make money in order to survive. So you need to present some sort of offer, but maybe this doesn't happen in every campaign you do, which is fine. So then at those points, you can just do steps one through four if you just want to build your list with a really cool free campaign that you're doing, right? But most of the time, you're going to have a paid offer that you want to get people to buy. So then at step five, you're going to present that offer. And there's a couple sub steps to this, right? So things like someone's going to have some hesitation usually if your product is over a hundred dollars and it's not just an impulse buy like, well, that's cool. I could use that for my cat or I could give that to my friend, right? And so Products like that, you're not really going to have a hard time kind of getting someone to say yes or no. They're either going to say that's stupid or oh, they're going to buy it, right? Whereas anything usually over $100 and sometimes even $80 is where people kind of start to draw the line where they're like, could I really use this? As well as like if it's an info product, for example, something like a course um, or a product where someone actually has to go in and consume some sort of content to get value from it, there is some hesitation around do I actually want to commit to this? Is this the right thing for me? Am I going to spend time going through this guide or this course or whatever I'm buying, right? So that expected hesitation is kind of one outcome that could happen as a sub-step of step five, right? Where you want to be prepared to answer those questions. So the chatbot, of course, you can implement certain FAQ and whatnot into it, but you also want to have a human standing by, human team or one person to be able to answer those questions. So we do have a flow that we go through inside of ManyChat or whatever chatbot platform you're using where you can bring in a human for some live chat, have them answer the conversation or have them answer the question, go back and forth a little bit. And then once the person is either convinced this is the best thing ever, or they're like, maybe this isn't for me right now, but that's okay, then part ways the person either buys or they don't, and then you pretty much move on to step six. Um, and then from there, if someone is still kind of hesitant or they didn't even respond yet to step five, then you can do some follow-ups as well. Just make sure that you are following that 24 plus one policy, which is a really hot topic right now because of F8. <laughs> and step number six is just going to be to continue the conversation. So whether someone purchased during step five or not, it's really important to allow this person to have the business send them future messages. Or if they don't want to, that's okay. They'll weed themselves out, right? So then following up maybe a few days later or even like a few minutes later after, you know, the offer maybe closes if you have a cart close time or date, then you can say, hey, it's awesome having you or it was awesome having you a part of this campaign. Can we send you messages when we do future free three-day mini courses like this or when we have another lead magnet or something like that, you know, to share with you. And so that is a way to continue the conversation so that it's not just a dead end like, all right, well, that was that, right? There's no kind of closing, but instead saying, hey, it was great meeting you. Let's talk again soon. And here's how we're going to do that. So setting expectations as well. So hopefully that gives a good summary of that without having my slides and everything <laughs> in place. Um, but I think that that gives people a starting point so you guys can kind of understand what a campaign actually looks like step by step. Awesome. I was talking to, talking to my friend the other day and he loves chatbots, but he doesn't want to build them, but mm. he wants to make money from them. Is there a way somebody like that can still make money? 
Yeah, so it kind of depends on what position they're in and also like what they want to do, right? So if it's someone who like wants to do the sales side of things, then absolutely. I've seen that work well where if someone just wants to focus on selling chatbots, they can find either a business partner that they could work with that could then do all the chatbot stuff or they could be the, you know, kind of head of this new company they're building and then just have contractors that they send these projects to. Or another option would be white label partners. So the model I mentioned earlier, right, the way that we were able to grow our agency really fast was because we worked with kind of people like that as well as mainly more like agencies that actually had clients. But we could have worked with someone like that where they would have brought us projects and then maybe he still wants to brand it though as his own company. And so because of that, we would say, that's great. We're going to get the work. We're going to get paid for it and be able to bring results. And you're just going to bring us projects. That's awesome. We don't have to worry about any sales. And so then that way, now you're also providing work opportunities to both agencies, freelancers, or a potential business partner. So those are just some ways that someone in that position could, you know, make money and um, also add some value to the chatbot world as well. But there's all sorts of different ways. Just kind of depends on what you want to do with chatbots and also kind of what position you're in. Like if you want to build a really awesome chatbot and have that be a business itself, or if you want to build more of an agency where you're serving people as well. Awesome. Now, what are some software tools that you use in your business that you can't live without? I know you mentioned Asana. Yes. <laughs> so Asana is definitely one um, that I love and that I've been using for quite a few years now. So I used it at the startups that I worked at, which is mainly why I even found out about it, because then I realized that not everyone in the world knows what Asana is after I got out of the tech startup world. So Asana is definitely one of the main tools I use on a daily basis. Um, in terms of, so maybe let's break it down to two categories. So in terms of like entrepreneur, not even entrepreneurial, just like business managing tools, I use quite a bit um, in terms of just like managing my day and doing things. So Google Drive, G Suite, super important for me. Zoom, I am on Zoom literally all day sometimes. Today I've had like five to 10 calls on Zoom. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head right now, but I'm on Zoom all the time. So Zoom, definitely huge impact in my business um, and a tool that I use very, very often. So Zoom, Asana, Google Drive, um, as well as a lot of Chrome extensions. It's funny, but Chrome extensions have kind of become the new apps, right, where there's just so many amazing things they can do. Things like, you know, screen recording and then sending someone a video, like Use Loom, for example, is one of my favorite ones. Um, and there's all sorts of really cool extensions available for like productivity and tasks and kind of organizing. So those would be kind of the main things that I use. I try to keep it simple, like in terms of my day, but then we have like, at this point, I think we probably have like 20 to 30 softwares that we use internally mm -hmm. for our agency as well as school of bots. Our agency, we keep it pretty simple. Pretty much Google Drive is like all we need um, as well as an invoicing software. But for school of bots, things get a little bit more complicated because we're running essentially an online course slash e-commerce business, right? So you've got all sorts of different little tiny softwares that do, you know, their own individual thing. And then you got to connect them to each other through Zapier and Integromat. So there's all sorts of different tools that we use, but ultimately just kind of without diving into that whole list of 30, um, those are kind of the main ones that I use to stay organized and manage pretty much everything that I do on a daily basis. Awesome. Have there been any books that have impacted your life or your business? Yeah, definitely. So when I um, first 
just got started kind of just understanding what entrepreneurship was and knowing that I wanted to do it. There were a lot of personal development books that I read that I really enjoyed um, from like personal finance, as well as like the conscious and unconscious or not unconscious, subconscious brain um, and mind. Right. So as you start to dive into those books, you hear about that stuff, you know, all the way across. So for me, three of the most impactful books were Rich Dad, Poor Dad, by Robert Kiyosaki, which then I actually found out a year ago that apparently the whole story is like fabricated and I was really bummed. No. <laughs> apparently, yeah, apparently there's like a whole controversy and, and kind of backstory to it where like wow. he pretty much put that story together, but it's not all true. Like he used, you know, like apparently the rich dad is like a combination of like two characters in his actual life. And so apparently it wasn't nonfiction, even though it's under nonfiction and that's why it became so big. So anyways, I don't know. I can't remember all the details off the top of my head, but I spent quite a few hours researching because I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, I wonder what the situation is, but that book was very impactful for me. So it was very well written. Um, and ultimately it did help me with quite a few different concepts. Looking back at it now, I do realize that some of that stuff didn't quite make sense. Um, the way that he was explaining it in terms of personal finance and kind of the way that you should be managing your finances. So for me, I didn't take so much of like, here's exactly how to do stuff from him, but it was more just the concepts of, you know, the four quadrants that he shares, which are, and now I'm probably going to butcher them, like self-employed, business owner, and employee. And I think there's one other one and gosh, I can't remember, but Oh, investor. That's what it was. And he's always like, be the investor. Right. (laughs) And then now looking back, I'm like, okay, well, you know, (laughs) so, but there we go. Exactly. Yay. I remember it. I was trying to imagine the quadrant in my head. So that was one book that was really impactful for me just in general mindset wise, as well as like understanding your finances, because luckily for me, I was young enough to where I didn't really need to unlearn any bad finance. Um, you know, habits or thoughts, but a lot of people who are a little bit older than me, I know who have gone through corporate jobs or nine to fives, or, you know, they see a hundred thousand dollars and think, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. I can never spend that on a business expense or, oh my gosh, that's a lot I just made. I can go now and, you know, buy some crazy fancy dinners several times a week, right? So whatever the effect has on someone, um, it's really important to be cognizant of that. And so I think books like that, that help with personal finance are really helpful to be aware of those things. If you tend to have those types of reactions um, to money and make it emotional. So one book that really helped me, um, second book would be Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So I know this, honestly, all these books that I'm going to mention are probably like, okay, duh, right? You know, it's like every entrepreneur mentions them, but I'm kind of trying to pull out, you know, the specific lessons that I learned from them because they were really impactful for me um, at the time, at the time, my little entrepreneur naive brain before actually building my businesses. So Think and Grow Rich was really helpful for me because it took me a long time to understand what the heck the book even was telling me, right? There were so abstract like concepts that until you actually build a business and then go back and read it, you're like, what the heck does this even mean? You're like, I'm just going to keep drilling it into my brain because that's what the personal development gurus tell you to do, right? They tell you to read, read, read. And they're like, remember this, listen to this all the time, you know, and your subconscious mind will remember. And that actually does happen. It's not BS. But at the same time, I just didn't have anything to apply these concepts to like an actual business. So I was just like, this is really cool and awesome. And I'm happy that I feel like I'm you know, advancing farther in society than a lot of people who aren't reading these books. But at the same time, like, I don't really know what to apply this to. So now looking back, um, I'm actually rereading the book right now and continue to kind of look back at it for certain lessons because there's a lot of really great kind of one-liners and quotes to take from it. 
And then third book, and now I'm going to forget what it was. Oh, I guess I'll go back to four-hour work week then and kind of share more about that because I think that that book was really helpful in understanding how to delegate things um, and what that can look like. And Tim Ferriss shares so many really cool stories about his travels and and all sorts of stuff. It's really, really inspiring. Um, But also the one thing that that book taught me too was that that lifestyle is very unrealistic, right? And at the end of the day, if you're only going to work four hours a week, well, one, you know, hopefully you're doing something that you enjoy so it doesn't really feel like work, but instead is like, you know, a project that you're passionate about that you're working on, even if it's not like, you know, music or like cooking or some sort of hobby, but it's, you know, if you enjoy building chatbots, then awesome, you know, that's work, but like you should enjoy doing that. And so doing that four hours a week is kind of unrealistic. Um, And also what the heck are you going to do with the rest of your time, (laughs) right? That's so many hours in a week. If you think about it, you know, to, to actually just not be doing anything, maybe building up a random new skill or hobby, which some people would enjoy and be able to do. But I think most people would kind of feel bored and unmotivated after a while because there's no real momentum happening in your business when you're only spending four hours a week on it. So later on, actually, funny enough, I was listening to a podcast episode with him and someone else. And he's like, yeah, that's unrealistic, pretty much, you know, like, I wrote it to be able to give people an idea of what that lifestyle looks like and what my journey was. But you know, it's pretty unrealistic. And and even I don't do that anymore. Tim Ferriss does so much every week. He does not live the four hour work week. He invests, he has all sorts of crazy hobbies and things that he does. So he definitely does not live the four hour work week lifestyle. But going then and actually doing it or attempting to do it myself and doing the digital nomad lifestyle, living in Southeast Asia in Chiang Mai, one of the hot spots, you know, in Thailand, aside from Bali, it's kind of like Bali versus Chiang Mai is, is really the big thing out there. So you see all these people who are trying to live this lifestyle. And I realized that that wasn't what I wanted. All these people seemed very stuck and also like they were trying to build the foundation of their business for years, but just couldn't because they were constantly traveling and exploring and moving around. Around, didn't really have a home base. It's tough to keep in touch with people when you're moving around so freaking much, right? And so all those things combined made me realize that that's really like unrealistic and also shouldn't really be desired by anyone because ultimately you're not going to really feel fulfilled when you live a lifestyle like that, which is kind of of scarcity, to be honest. So that was my biggest takeaway after reading that book and then actually going through the experience. But reading the book helped me feel comfortable and confident in taking the leap of faith. You know, like I had some knowledge that other people didn't. I was like, okay, I can do this thing. Right. And that was kind of a momentum piece for me that helped propel me forward um, and feel confident to start my business as well. So those three books, even though they're pretty stereotypical of entrepreneurs, um, were very impactful for everything that I've been able to do. Awesome. Yeah. I, I love those three books as well. I actually need to reread thinking real rich. I need to reread that. I think everybody does. Like I said, it's so abstract that it's like you go through it and then, you know, next time you read it, you'll be like, Oh, that's what that means. (laughs) So it is, it's a tough read. I'll say. Now you're an amazing speaker. Like you said, you spoke at traffic and conversion, social media marketing world. Did you always know that you would be a speaker? I was always very comfortable with speaking because I actually 
came from like a music performing background, to be honest. Um, as I was growing up, I did a lot of musicals and then I did music shows. And I was actually planning to go into music as a singer and songwriter initially for my career. So I knew that I was business minded, but I thought that I was going to do music first and then business later. And I'm actually glad I did it in reverse because now I'm a little bit more educated than, you know, most people would be when they're going into a deal or whatever. Right. Um, and so because I was singing, singing on stage is 20, like 200 times more nerve wracking than speaking. So with singing, you start to shake, right? And people can hear that in your voice. And, and there's a lot of different pieces of the performance. Speaking is so freaking easy. You just go up there and talk, right? So comparing those two, I think that's why I felt so confident and calm going up and speaking in front of stages. And then combined with the fact, as I mentioned, I've always been pretty disciplined. Um, and so because of that, I was always very comfortable presenting in front of classes, you know, when I was in school. Um, as well as putting together projects and saying, here's what I did. And really the first time, and I do remember this very clearly, the first time I really presented on stage was actually for a business competition back in high school uh, for Citibank. So Citibank's pretty big um, bank that provides, you know, small business loans and entrepreneurship loans. So they were sponsoring this business competition. I presented on that stage and it went really well. My team won first place and we all won like a thousand dollars, which was really cool at the time as a teen. I was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. You know, I just gave a presentation and voila, <laughs> right? Uh, so we didn't really do anything with the thing that we had created for the presentation, but nonetheless, just gaining that experience um, as well as meeting some influential business people, right? At the time, I grew up in Orange County in California, so there's quite a few really prestigious entrepreneurs there and investors. So I got a chance to meet quite a few really awesome people um, and start to follow them, kind of see what they did actually for work, right? Because my parents, my dad was an entrepreneur, but you know, my mom wasn't, and they both weren't millionaires. So I didn't really see kind of the successful entrepreneur lifestyle as a kid um, and growing up and see someone actually doing that and what the possibilities were kind of all of that. So that was the first time I spoke on stage and was really happy and confident with it, like for a business purpose, not so much just like in front of class, you know, sharing about a project I did at a science fair, but actually like a real life kind of thing, right? And I think that's what sparked the fire where shortly after that, I started to do more presentations at all sorts of different places, meetups. Um, I actually did a TEDx out late um, and then started to just present about all sorts of different things, personal development at the time, whatever I was kind of studying or learning about at the time. And so then once I got into chatbots, well, that became a whole lot easier because I actually had something I was knowledgeable about that now I have been doing for the last, and I should actually count, what's 365 times three because I have not taken a day off <laughs> in the last three years. So except actually, no, not even then. I got a wisdom tooth surgery a few weeks ago and I was still working right after that. So Oh I'm not a workaholic, but I'll just say there's a lot to get done, right? This industry is moving fast. So um, I'm always trying to be on top of it and getting things done. So that having been said, like for me, speaking about chatbots then came even easier where actually after I spoke on stage at Traffic and Conversion, I felt really, really calm. It was such a weird feeling. I had never felt like that before. Um, speaking in front of people and being so calm about it felt like I was kind of just hanging out with people. And after that, ever since I've, and it's only been a few months, but um, I've spoken on stage a few times after that. And 
I've just felt really calm and happy and confident when I go up on stage. So I don't know what changed, but something in that moment kind of did that for me. And I don't know if that's something that every speaker kind of goes through. If you just speak a certain amount of times, you kind of get to a stage like that. Or if for some people, it's just always nerve wracking. I have no idea. Um, but for me at this point now, I just feel very confident with the material I'm presenting and the fact that I know I can answer any questions people might have as well as kind of be thinking about what other people are thinking about as they're going through just because I've presented at this point over 300 times, you know, on different podcasts, on stage, at conferences like that, as well as smaller stages like, you know, small masterminds or meetups or, you know, even different business organizations. So I've spoken to quite a few different audiences where now I've just taught this material to so many different audiences, so many different people that I think it's a little bit different for me than it would be for most people who are going to give a talk, you know, every few months or every year um, where it's going to be a really different experience. So for me, honestly, it's just been about practice and kind of getting it done. But if I wasn't doing this, I probably wouldn't feel as comfortable, to be honest. So I feel like I've had a little bit of a unique experience where I just feel more confident. Um, but ultimately, it's I think it's cool to be able to share that because people can see that if you do decide to become really, really knowledgeable and practice a topic every single day that you can get to that point of just feeling really confident and happy as well and satisfied, you know, with the presentations that you give as well. Very cool. Oh my goodness. So you have to sing something for us. <laughs> You're a I've actually only spoken. I mean, I've actually only sung on one other podcast ever and it was like a Facebook live. So it wasn't even really a, a podcast summit thing. So <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, I was reading online this letter that you wrote to your, oh my your goodness. parents. And I was like, oh my goodness, that is so awesome. Like how you wanted to leave USC, which I also went to USC, but I also left. Oh, I didn't know that. But for a different reason, I'll tell you later. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so my question is, how does your family feel about your success? Now they're actually like really happy for me. And I mean, they were never not happy for me. Um, luckily, my family has been really supportive of everything that I've been working on and doing. Obviously, with the letter, they were a little bit surprised. But um, ultimately, like I told them, hey, here's my plan. Here's what I'm going to do. And if it doesn't work out, then I will go and do something else, right? Like I'm young enough. I'll figure it out. Um, I don't have kids or really have any obligations, right? I don't need to care for anyone else other than myself. Um, and so... That was essentially how I explained it to them in that letter. And funny enough, I actually Googled my name the other day because I think, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Molly Pittman. Uh, she was like, yeah, when I Google your name, like that's the first thing that comes up on, you know, or the first page, right? It's like towards the bottom or something. I was like, what? So I looked it up and it actually was, which is really funny. So funny enough, now every time I see a family member or longtime friend or someone, you know, that I grew up with, they're like, oh, I read your letter. I'm like, what? <laughs> if I even, you know, I haven't talked to them in years, right? And that's kind of the first thing they say to me if I, if I ever see them in person. So really funny. Um, but now they're very supportive and they've seen all of, you know, the awesome wins that we've had as well as some of the challenges. And so they've been honestly just really supportive. I don't share a whole lot with my parents, to be honest, in terms of like, here's exactly what I'm doing, you know, every week and here's what's going on. Because not that I think they wouldn't understand, but you know, there's just so much about the chatbot world and marketing and stuff that you kind of have to explain to someone to say, here's like this awesome podcast I was on. And here's what we talked about. You're not going to understand anything of what we're talking about, but I hope you enjoy it and know that, you know, I'm on. There, right. And funny enough, my mom has actually been listening to my podcasts um, lately. So I post them on my Facebook profile. 
while. And I actually wasn't even connected with my mom on social media until about two years ago. So right about the time when we started School of Bots. So lately she's been like, oh, I listened to your podcast, you know, with Molly Pittman on Digital Marketer. I was like, how did you find that? Right, you know, um, and she's always telling me the one she's listening to. So that makes me really happy. And I feel like I should share more with her. <laughs> I feel like I owe it to her. Um, but overall, they've been really supportive and loving and just happy for me. So, and they don't ask me too many questions or say like, oh, I'm worried about you or whatever, you know, like I would expect a lot of parents to do. So I'm happy I have my independence, um, but also have their unconditional love and support too. So I feel very blessed to kind of be in that situation. Very cool. Very cool. Now, have you mastered your seven languages? That was, that was also in the letter. Yeah. So I have not yet. <laughs> that was really my goal was to kind of get to that. I'd say probably like 10, like 15 years um, down the line because ultimately I put together like just all this like brain vomit, you know, on into like one letter where I was like, Hey, I have this. I've actually been creating this note on my iPhone for like the last whenever iPhones came out, right? How long has it been? 10 years, maybe nine years, <laughs> something like that. I was actually trying to think about that the other day. So however many years it's been, actually my first iPhone was an iPhone four. So not even the three, but um, I've always kept this phone note that I called the billionaire plan. And not that I plan to become a billionaire, but I just wanted to put together like life rules and like principles and kind of things that I could put into their bucket list items, um, as well as like what I wanted to do. And so I actually put it together up until the year 2020, which is when I was supposed to graduate from college. And so obviously that has changed quite a bit um, at this point, but I still had that together and then started to plan kind of what I wanted to do each quarter of the year, even before I had a business. And so as I put that together, these were all the things that I put together on that list is some of the stuff that I put into the letter. And that was one of those things. So I definitely still want to do the languages, um, but I'm not focused on it right now because it's not a super important need for me. But I really would like to speak a lot more languages, spend some more time traveling for fun, though. So that's the biggest thing is that right now I'm like, I don't even want to learn other languages because I don't want to travel. <laughs> I just want to stay home, and, you know, <laughs> just like have my home base. Like it feels so good to have a home after you live out of your suitcase for a year right? Even just a few months, like it's starting to go on a weekend trip now for me. So um, thinking about that kind of makes me unmotivated to learn languages right now, but I know I definitely want to continue to pursue that in the future. So unfortunately, no, I have not gotten to it yet. Not yet. Not yet. But how many languages do you speak? Right now I speak, I'd say two and a half. So I speak English and Spanish. I'm half Mexican, half Japanese. So that's where that comes from. And then uh, I spoke Japanese fluently as a kid, but my father passed away when I was seven. So I actually stopped speaking Japanese pretty much after that um, because he was a Japanese one. And so um, I actually recently went to Japan, saw my grandma, used Google Translate most of the time, to be honest. And so <laughs> I realized like, I do want to relearn a little bit and I could actually have some conversations. So I'd say I, I half speak Japanese. <laughs> very cool. So, so very sorry about your dad. Um, that was when, when going back to USC. One of the, the reason why I had to leave was because my mom came down with a uh, cancer. So I had to stop school and like work full time and mm -hmm. she eventually passed from cancer. But yeah. I totally oh, well, thank you for sharing because actually my dad passed away from cancer as well. He had lymphoma cancer. So I always appreciate the bravery in sharing because, you know, it's really unfortunate, but I think that ultimately it's a part of our journey. And I know that I would be a very different person if 
my father was still alive and that if I hadn't like gone through that whole independence phase, right? And everything happens for a reason. So I think I think it's really great to be able to share and and also kind of share in that as well. So absolutely. Awesome. So if we get down to the final couple questions, who inspires you, Natasha? Mm-hmm. I'd say my number one inspiration is probably Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. So she is an amazing woman, um, mainly because, and for me in my eyes, so totally my opinion, but I think that she is just so cool in the sense that she's very transparent and honest and real, which is cool. Like her Instagram makes me really happy. And she is always just sharing kind of everything about her journey, what happened at the beginning, because now she's a billionaire, right, from her her company. And a lot has happened along the way, obviously, but it all also happened pretty quickly um, as well. Like their company rose really, really fast. And so just all the things she shares, as well as the fact that she tries to embarrass herself every day, which is something that I've become better and better at and don't feel like weird about anymore. But I used to, I'd like take constructive criticism kind of badly or like be like, Oh my God, that was so embarrassing. Right. And you know, I kind of weird now I'm totally fine with it. And I think that that's something to constantly remind yourself of is like celebrate your failures, celebrate your embarrassing moments and your challenges. And that's something that she does really well and that I strive to be more like, so I'd say she's my number one inspiration. Uh, But of course there's so many other different people that I'm also inspired by. Awesome. And so where can people find you online? Online, you guys can connect with me wherever you spend your time online. So um, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook mainly. So you guys can feel free to reach out to me, just Natasha Takahashi on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, And then my email, if you guys want to reach out to me directly, if you have any questions or want to learn more about what we do, hire us or just get in touch. Uh, my email is natasha at schoolofbots.co. But of course, I'm most active inside of School of Bots. So we've got our YouTube channel um, as well as our Facebook community where I am in there every single day, uh, making sure that we can support everyone with any challenges you might have, any ideas that you might need to kind of get some thoughts or guidance on, um, as well as if we can point you in the right direction for any resources, anything related to tools like ManyChat or you know anything, bot strategy, sales, etc we're here for you. Um, so those are all the places that I spend my time online. So feel free to reach out wherever is convenient for you. Awesome. And is there anything else you'd like to add to our audience that I haven't asked you? Honestly, no, I think we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how much we were going to get to, but we covered a lot from my journey to chatbots to pretty much entrepreneurship and personal development, we talked about a lot. So I honestly can't think of anything else that I'd want to share. (laughs) Thank you so much for asking awesome questions. Awesome. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. So we will will see you next time. Sounds good. Thanks for watching guys. Okay. Bye-bye.